Hi, this is Green Europe, and you can call me The Green Man. This is a podcast, or possibly just a, a limited-run series, which is going to be about uh, the European Union, the functioning of it, sort of legally and practically, and environmentalism. My own background is in sort of application of European environmental law on the ground, and this series is basically my idea to uh, chronicle me learning more about the functioning of the European Union. So my, like I said, I work with uh, environmentalism and I work with how this kind of European level legislation actually plays out on the ground when it comes to uh, writing assessments and reports and stuff like that. But uh, for, for my career, I want to know more about the higher up level stuff regarding the European Union and its attitude towards environmentalism in general uh, whether that be good or bad and that's uh, th- this this entire show is designed to chronicle uh, my journey as I learn more about this so uh, I am by no means an expert I'm uh, teaching myself alongside some courses and uh, I invite you to come and listen and uh, learn with me if you know more about anything than I do and would like to get in touch that would be great by the time you hear this there should be an email address and a twitter handle for this show so they will be in the show notes uh, assuming all of that is up and running so hopefully in the next few episodes we'll get to be talking about the green new deal we'll get to be talking about the origins of the eu's uh, environmental uh, programming and um, and legislation particularly the the habitats act and everything that comes down to it from there because that is my own background that's the stuff i know the most about And of course, I do intend on tackling all of the climate stuff and all of the programs that the European Union has got on the on the go, especially regarding climate action as well. And there will be a little bit of an emphasis on how that plays out here in Ireland, as once again, it is uh, the element that I know the most about, though not exclusively. I'll be picking cherry picking stories from anywhere around the European Union that sound uh, exciting to me. Uh, I am generally broadly pro-EU in most in most areas, especially considering some of the alternatives. That does not mean that I'll be overlooking any uh, poor implementation or corruption or sort of slightly dodgy ideas that I may come across. But I'm going to be uh, investigating all this stuff and giving it the best possible chance that I can to see how legitimate it might be. But hopefully I'll be able to give a truthful account of whatever it is that I do find as I learn more. Now, this first episode is going to be pretty much a primer for sort of EU basics. I'm going to talk about the seven institutions uh, very, very broadly, what they are and what they do. And uh, I guess kind of using this as a, uh, a plank for everything else that's going to come. So we're going to talk about these, these, these seven institutions. They're not the only uh, elements or organs of the European Union, but they are, of course, the main ones. It, the EU is an immensely complicated set of interlocking bodies. Uh, I believe somebody once wrote that, you know, it is absolutely not the way you would design something from the ground up because it has all of these redundancies and all these extra extra sort of bodies that you you might think were not needed if you were designing this from scratch. It isn't. It has instead evolved. It was a very different project back in the 50s when it was first envisaged and as more countries have gotten involved and as the world has gotten more complicated, all of these extra elements have appeared. Hilariously, many of them 
have like almost the same name. So there are there are three different councils within the EU that have almost the same name. And I know that even people who study this stuff um, have a hard time getting their head around that and getting to grips to it. So I'm going to do my best to separate two of those uh, organizations who both have the word council in their name and um, while I'm talking about the, the basic seven basic seven uh, units. So in this episode, I'm going to be talking about the European Council, the European Commission, who you've probably heard a lot about in the news recently, the European Parliament, the Council of the European Union, not to be confused with uh, the European Council, and then very briefly I'm going to talk about the European Court of Justice, the European Central Bank, and the European Court of Auditors in less detail because they don't quite have as much to do with um, environmental legislation and the stuff that I'm going to be talking about on the rest of the show. Well, let's get started. So I've decided to start with the European Council. So it's one of, it's an executive body. It has, it has no legislative power. It's not able to make laws. It's not able to approve laws. It is is basically um, meetings of all of the heads of state. So whoever the head of your your member state, your country is, is going to be one of the people at the European Council. And they do kind of broad, high-level stuff like they, this sounds a bit vague, but they they set agendas and directions for the whole EU project. They decide priorities for the EU. Uh, and um, that again, that sounds kind of vague to me. I think it'll become more clear over later episodes what that means in a practical sense. But for now, we'll just park that and say they don't make laws. They don't decide exactly how these things are going to play out on the ground, but they decide the the direction that the other bodies are going to be heading towards. And uh, they they meet primarily in, in Brussels, I believe is where their, their home building is. And um, this was established, this European Council was kind of in its current modern form was established by the uh, the dreaded Lisbon Treaty of 2008-9, of which there will be certainly more to be said in future episodes. Uh, next of the groups is the European Commission. Now, this is this is a little bit easier to grasp. So the European Commission, it, it can be either legislative or executive, depending on what they're doing. Um, their president is Ursula von der Leyen, who is always in the news now and to who people probably recognize. We're going to be dealing with some people who you're like, oh, I've never heard of them. And then there's other people who actually have a bit of um, a, a bit of media presence. And it's funny with the EU, they're not they're not quite like, you know, the individual um, heads of countries. And they're certainly not like the ridiculous American politicians. Um, a lot of them are very dull and boring. And I, I wonder if that's deliberate. I wonder if that's, you know, I, I, part of me hopes that it's just because you know, it's a stodgier, more thorough and less uh, sensationalist uh, way of doing politics. But I also wonder if they're just a bit smarter and they found a different way of getting the things they want done by, you know, not, not flying over the radar. But van der Leyen, or van der Leyen is, is, is known. She's she's in the news a lot. The vice um, president is, I hope I say this right, it's Maris Sheftovich, I believe. Sheftovich is has been heavily involved in the Brexit negotiations. So that's been up and down, up and down, up and down all, well, for four years, really. But um, as I record this in, in, in spring of 2021, every single day, it's like a different a different category. And he, he was, um, he's been negotiating with Michael Gove until recently. Now it's David Frost and things are getting frosty, if I, if I may say so. But that's by the by. So this is the European Commission again based in Brussels what's different about them is that they're not leaders of state they are commissioners and the commissioners 
Um, there is one from each state, so there's 27 of them altogether. And where do these commissioners come from? They are proposed by the Council of the European Union, which is another body we'll get to, uh, and those recommend based on recommendations made by each member state. So these are one person from each country who get together, and they're supposed to be EU first. They're supposed to be you know, representing the interests of the EU as a body rather than of their own native country or their political party. I'm sure it doesn't always work out that way, but in theory, that's how it is. They have to swear some kind of oath to say that, uh, you know, they're not there on behalf of only the interests of their own party. So it's supposed to be a more sort of homogenous idea of a thing. Um, so yeah, politically independent is something they're supposed to be. Uh, until I think last year for Ireland it was Phil Hogan who was a bit of a head, bit of a character. Um, I remember there was a lot of talk about how he was going to stand up to the British and, and you know show no mercy when it came to Brexit negotiations. And then he let the team down, of course, by getting involved in what was called um, what was it? Golfgate. Golfgate was a political scandal at the end of 2020 or end of the summer, I think, where a number of Irish politicians during that you know the harsh days of of really strict lockdown were all caught having a, a flipping dinner somewhere at a golf club and hundreds of them indoors and various people um, somebody said at the time compared to in the uk and other places at least at least when people do stupid terrible things here there's still enough shame that they occasionally have to step down which you know it's a low bar but there you go he was replaced by maureen mcginnis who we will meet again as she has another important uh, position within the European Union, but she is uh, currently our commissioner. Now, what does the European Commission do? It proposes new laws, but it can vote on them. So again, we're a little bit more specific than with the European Council. They can propose new laws, but they can't vote on them. And they're supposed to apply this kind of precautionary principle thing, which is like, oh, well, we can see you know, we're going to have problems with something coming down the tracks later on in the future. Let's try and do something about that now. And an example of that is a lot of the legislation to do with conservation and wildlife that I am have worked in will have originated with the European Commission. So, for example, they're supposed to be committed to getting EU member states to carbon neutrality by 2050. There's a lot of sub-projects that I'm paying attention to at the moment uh, that are with that goal in mind and we will be investigating those more closely in future episodes. The European Commission is sometimes targeted by Eurosceptics uh, as an example of a powerful body within the EU which is you know which is represented by non uh, people who are not voted in. So they sometimes get it in the neck for that particular reason. To contrast that, we'll say we have two other bodies who kind of work in tandem to a degree so the european commission proposes laws and then those laws have to be voted on by these two other bodies so one of them is the european parliament and one of them is the council of the european union let's talk about the parliament first this is this is the most democratic section of the eu if you want to look at it that way being as this is the body whose members are most directly voted for by ordinary citizens so who sits in the European Parliament? They are called MEPs, Members of European Parliament, I presume. This can happen physically in, in different places. It depends on what they're doing or, or exactly what function they're performing. But they have, they have buildings in Brussels and Strasbourg and, and Luxembourg, all the major 
EU hubs on the continent. Altogether, there are 705 MEPs currently, and uh, people vote for them in your own country every five years. Turnout for these elections are not very high. Again, adding to this idea that, you know, EU politics isn't uh, sensationalist, it's not sexy, people often don't understand it. Um, and as I learn more about the Lisbon Treaty and why Eurosceptics tend to say it's an example of uh, an undemocratic uh, occurrence where you know the European Union was like oh you didn't you didn't give us the answer we wanted we were going to make you vote again I think part of the, I mean it's not entirely untrue uh, and we will talk about that in future uh, something that they tend not to mention is that Ireland asked for significant changes to be made to Lisbon and achieved those and there was another another vote based on that doesn't mean that everything about it uh, I'm okay with but uh, a lot of that was to do with exactly you know differences in power between these different organs and I think people don't understand it and I, I definitely I mean I remember I voted on it and I remember I don't I don't believe people understood what this was about if you if you don't do a good deep study of these um, institutions I think it's difficult to explain what Lisbon was about and even when you do know it it it's it's a bit of a mess but the European Parliament has gotten more powerful since its inception. It, as being the most sort of voted upon body, it does have more power than most of the other ones um, when it comes down to brass tax. So MEPs are uh, proport, they're in, in the numbers of them, they are proportional to their population. So it depends on how big your country is. Um, and Ireland has 13 currently, we're one of the smaller partners. We had 11 before Brexit. Obviously, there is one fewer country in the organization. So that means there is more MEPs to go around, more positions for MEPs to go around. So they do vote on laws. So whatever the European Commission comes up with, well, the European Parliament gets to vote on. And um, I think it's a simple or an absolute vote where it's just a majority, if I'm, if I'm right about that. Uh, they can veto. So if the Council for the European Union, who also votes... If they uh, vote in favour of something, but the European Parliament doesn't, then it gets tossed back up to the European Commission to make a change. So, you know, they do have a certain amount of power there. They approve budgets, and their head, their uh, president, is David Sassoli, who's a Italian politician. I think he was a journalist. And the, the vice is uh, Mairead McGuinness, once again. So some folks like to emphasise that for a small country, Ireland is perhaps uh, well represented if not overrepresented in uh, EU structures uh, don't know whether that's true or not but certainly we have had some folks in high positions right so the second body that also is needed to pass laws besides the European Parliament is the Council of the European Union not to be confused with the European Council they are also in Brussels and they also vote to adopt laws and they are basically a bunch of ministers from each member state. Once again, there are 27 of them all together, one from each state. And who it is changes. So which minister is there depends on what topic is being discussed. So they may have they may have a meeting where they have a particular goal and therefore, you know, they will want people who are experienced in agriculture or maybe it's economics or maybe it's something else. So it's a bit of a rotational kind of a thing. This is where, um, un unlike the European Commission, this is where the individual ministers get to have their say on behalf of their own national interests. They get to defend what their country is is looking to achieve. 
And there isn't one person in charge of this. It's a it's a rotational presidency for countries. So Ireland was president in 2013. It's currently Portugal. What that means is various Portuguese ministers or officials or government representatives uh, tend to chair meetings and and stuff like that. So those are those four are kind of the most important ones. They're the ones you hear about the most, and I think they are the ones that you need to understand a little bit to explain, you know, how leg legislation happens and how it gets voted and how representative or not representative you may feel that the European Union is altogether. There are three other organisations in the Canonical 7 that I will mention more briefly. So the first one is the European Court of Justice. If you want to, you could kind of think of it as like a, a, a European Union Supreme Court. This, again, has 27 members. Each one is a judge from each member state. The European Court of Justice, of course, is the judicial side of things, as you can imagine, and they are based in Luxembourg. Their president is Cohen Lennertz, who is a Belgian politician. Now, what did they do? They, I'm going to be a little bit vague here. I'm sure we'll get more into it in future episodes, but they basically make sure that member states abide by EU law. They ensure that law is applied the same way, or European Union law is applied the same way in every country. Now, uh, as a rule, a general rule, they are not able to overrule national high courts. So it's not like some sort of overseer that will go and make changes to things that individual countries have decided for themselves. At least that's not the way it's supposed to work in theory. The European Central Bank... Uh, sets monetary policy. They are based in Frankfurt. I think it's the first time we've had Frankfurt as a location while looking at these bodies. They do things like they try to maintain price stability within the Eurozone, which, remember, is not all of the member states. It's only 19 of the 27. Now, they have shareholders like a corporation so they they're, they they're a little bit little bit corporate in that way they're the only ones allowed to issue euro notes individual countries can issue coins but not notes do we have an irish representative here of note uh, in the executive board of the european central bank we have a man named philip lane who's the irish representative there and the european central bank is supposed to be accountable to the european parliament in various ways like they have to make I think quarterly reports and they can be they can be held up in, uh, or held to account in various ways which again we might have to get into in more depth in the future. Finally, the European Court of Auditors. These guys are based out of Luxembourg. They basically implement budgets for the other institutions. They're like a professional external auditing service. They uh, they're supposed to improve the financial management of EU money. And who's in this group? Well, each member state, once again, they suggest a candidate, um, but it's appointed ultimately by the Council of the European Union. And we do have an Irish representative. It's uh, a fellow by the name of Tom Murphy. A few other numbers, just as, as we wrap up for this reasonably short episode. So we, we talked about our 27 member states, but it, it, there's more things going on than that. So there are three countries which are not technically in the European Union, but which are in the EEA, which is a larger economic sphere of influence. That is Iceland, Norway and Liechtenstein. So, you know, I mean, it means that they would be, ad they would have to adhere to certain monetary rules. They'd have some rules in common with the EU, but mostly not. And then there's an even larger group, which is, uh, of course, Schengen. Quick editing note, uh, Schengen includes Iceland, 
Norway, Liechtenstein, some microstates like Monaco, Vatican City, San Marino, and of course Switzerland. I think it's primarily freedom of movement for, for individuals applies to that. And yeah, the Eurozone is, is probably the final geographical unit worth knowing, which, as I mentioned, is, is 19 of 27 states. Uh, a few countries like Sweden decided, and obviously Britain back in the day, decided not to go in on the, e, uh, on the Euro for their own reasons. And I think we're going to leave it there for this episode, a short one. Next up, having done that kind of background homework, we are going to be talking about the origins of European environmental legislation, in particular the Habitats Directive, the Birds Directive and Natura 2000. And I'm going to talk a little bit about my own experience of working with that legislation here in Ireland. So until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>